Welcome to Getting God's Truth. We reach out to change lives and put you closer to heaven's truth. Chapter 1 of God's Record, verses 18 to 25, is the biblical text that stands behind. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man, he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after all he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill which the Lord had said to the prophet, The virgin shall be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Jesus, the only birth of his kind. Some things in life are unique. They are one of a kind. Let me give you an example that's close at hand. Your fingerprints. No one else in this world has a set of fingerprints just like yours. Think about the six billion people in this planet. If we searched out each one, we couldn't find anyone with fingerprints like yours. Yours will always be unique. This is why we can say your fingerprints are your unchangeable signature. You can always be identified by them. Yes, you may change in appearance or age, but your unique fingerprints never change. They always keep their patterns amazing but true. And two, no one else in this world's history has ever been stamped with arches and loops in their fingerprints identical with yours. Yours are one of a kind. They will always be. None before you in history and none after you in the history of this world will have fingerprints just like yours. They are one of a kind. Not only in the natural world, but also in the spiritual world, we find something else that's absolutely unique. This brings us to the central truth of our message. The birth of Jesus Christ is unique. It is different from all other births in history. It's one of a kind. Turning to our Matthew passage of Scripture in, in chapter 1, we recognize Jesus' birth is unique, one of a kind, because of these reasons. Reason number one, found in Matthew 1, and verse 23. Jesus' birth is unique because it fulfills Old Testament prophecy spoken 700 years before he was born. We find that prophecy came in Matthew 1, 
22. But the angel of the Lord considered this and appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said to the prophet, The virgin shall be with child, and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, God with us. What do we mean by Old Testament prophecy? His birth was fulfilled 700 years later after it was prophesied. Prophecy, as we use this word, means to predict something in the future to tell in advance. You will find always that Old Testament prophecy puts its ultimate focus on Jesus Christ. It prophesies and predicts and promises Christ's coming into the world, his life, his ministry, Christ's death, and his resurrection from the dead. These are all told in advance in Old Testament redemptive history. The th thing that links together the Old and the New Testament could be stated like this. Promise in the Old Testament, fulfillment in the New but that the center of both testaments in your Bible is Jesus Christ. Without him, there is no good news. Prophecy and fulfillment. Certainly God predicted what would happen when Christ entered history to do away with our sins and guilt at the cross. The good news here in Matthew 122 and 123 is that God Emmanuel will come into this world in the birth of Jesus. Now let's take another look at this Hebrew word. It shall be Emmanuel, God with us. Certainly, events like this, when the king came down from the world of light from heaven above, God through his prophets would predict these events. They put together God's eternal plan to save our souls from sin and guilt and give us a destiny beyond the grave, a destiny in heaven above. The good news here in Matthew 1, and 23 is that God, Emmanuel, will come into this world in the birth of Jesus. Now let's take another look at the Hebrew word, Emmanuel. The L at the end of this word means God in Hebrew. It's used over 200 times in the Old Testament. For example, it's the generic word for God. It's not God's name, but it's what God's character is. We have Emmanuel. El means God. There is no God like our God, said the children of Israel. There is no L like our L. The word Emmanuel means with us. God with us is what Isaiah predicted seven centuries before it happened. Let's take a further look at Isaiah's unique prophecy. It's found in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, chapter 7 and verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. 
The virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son, and you will call him Emmanuel. The Emmanuel prophecy was spoken 700 years before Jesus came to Bethlehem. Isaiah prophesied it way back in 734 B.C., 700 years plus. It is remarkable. Like most biblical prophecies, Isaiah 7.14 finds its roots in the affairs of everyday life. Isaiah spoke these prophetic words to a king facing national calamity. It was Ahaz, king of Judah. He saw war clouds all around his nation. King Ahaz knew that invading armies from Israel and Syria would be pounding at the gates of his city, Jerusalem. They would take away King Ahaz and destroy his people. It was a crisis. In times like these, who wouldn't want a prophet like Isaiah to appear and predict victory? Isaiah tells King Ahaz, yet this is what the sovereign Lord says, it will not take place, it will not happen. Now look at God's grace right here, reaching out to Ahaz to believe. Isaiah says to this troubled king, ask the Lord your God for a sign whether in the deepest depths or the highest heights. What a promise God extends to King Ahaz, a promise that he will not be defeated. He will not be carried away in captivity. His nation will not be destroyed. But would you know that King Ahaz has set his mind to turn to the king of Assyria for help him, not the God of his fathers, but a pagan king, this is why Ahaz refused God's offer of a sign in Isaiah chapter 7. Then Isaiah steps in and says, The Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin shall be with child and will give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, God with us. These prophetic words found their full and complete fulfillment in the amazing birth of Jesus Christ. None of us can ever speak about any other birth that was prophesied 700 years in advance. The birth of Jesus stands alone. It is unique in the history of this human race. His birth connects us with God. It fulfills Old Testament prophecy. It fulfills good news that God, in the miracle of the incarnation, Christ came to earth. And here is good news in today's world. It's good news for you, good news for me. We're thankful for God's eternal Son and His coming into history. We're glad to read His birth announcement 700 years before it happened. Now let's turn to another reason why the birth of Christ is unique. The second reason is Christ's birth is unique because He was born of a virgin. We can go back and read the record from 118 to verse number 20. Matthew declares from God's infallible book, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, 
He had a mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born of a virgin. We cannot ever define the virgin birth, but we can give some example of some words that we can try to use. Jesus was not born by natural conception because he had no earthly father. A natural conception like ours would give us a natural Jesus, not a supernatural Jesus Christ. In natural conception, a person begins to exist. But Jesus existed before he was born. As God, he always existed. He had no beginning. So a person was not conceived in the virgin's womb, but a body and a human nature. Jesus shared in our humanity to take our sins and die for them. And we must always say that no person can fully define or explain Jesus' virgin birth. We have nothing to compare with it. No analogy. We cannot say like the birth of Jesus is like this. It's like nothing else. The mystery of Jesus' birth lies in the supernatural. Like his resurrection, it was an act of God's supernatural power and wisdom. We always need to remember that God is transcendent. He's beyond us, above us, infinite. We are finite and limited. We're of the earth earthly. He's the Lord from heaven. We're from beneath. He's from above. There is the miraculous of God in the virgin birth. Let me give an illustration about the farmer who was sitting under one of his trees on his farm. It was lunchtime, and he'd had his lunch. He was looking around, just relaxing. And suddenly he began to think, does God know what he's doing? Look at these watermelons. They're on the ground. They're big, but a little vine holds these watermelons and then he thought, I am sitting on a big tree, a walnut tree. And God puts little walnuts on a big tree which could hold a man. Does God know really what he's doing? He mused, he thought, it came to his mind. He puts big watermelons on a little vine and little walnuts on a big, big tree. As the farmer was thinking about his farm and this question, a wind was blowing, and a walnut from the tree under which he sat fell. It hit him in the head, and he said, Thank God that wasn't a watermelon. We can't explain God's ways, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so higher of his ways above our ways and his thoughts and our thoughts. So Christ's birth is not to be explained by our human understanding. We're finite, limited. God is infinite. 
He knows everything. He has all power. He is eternal. So how can we explain the ways of the Most High God? As the heavens are high above the earth, so are his ways higher than our ways. Let's thank God we have a supernatural Christianity. The virgin birth is God's act in history. There's a third reason in the biblical text why Christ's birth is unique, one of a kind. It's found in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, said the angel to Joseph, because he shall save his people from their sins. Matthew 1, verse 21. Jesus was born to die for the sins of others. That's why his birth is unique. That's another reason. What do we mean when we talk about sin? Sin really is breaking God's moral law. Sin is legally defined in Scripture as lawlessness. Sin is harmartia, to miss the mark. We've missed the moral mark. We've come short of the glory of God. But sin is also lawlessness. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 4, Everyone who sinned breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. Sin is doing what is contrary to God, to God's nature, to God's law. God says, do not lie, because God does not lie. God says, do not hate your neighbor, because God does not hate your neighbor. Sin is contrary, then, to God's nature, as well as his law. Why was Jesus born to die for sins? The gospel message, the focus and climax of this passage, sin brings guilt, that's why. Sin brings punishment. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, Romans 6.23. Ezekiel 18.4 says, The soul that sinneth it shall die. A sinner forfeits spiritual life, the life of his soul. The Bible says in Ephesians 2.1 that we are dead in trespasses and sins. Dead means separated from God. There is no life in our soul. So a sinner needs a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. He took the wages of our sin which is death. He took our place at the cross. God's punishment for your sins and my sins fell upon Jesus Christ. God laid on him the sin of us all. You remember that Jesus died at Calvary in the spring of 33 AD? It was Passover season in Jerusalem. And Jesus was on trial before Pilate. Pilate, the Roman governor, was the only one that had the power to put Jesus to death. They had taken that away from the Jews, the Roman occupation and the Roman law. But standing also there in that day, we find there was somebody else at the foot of the cross. His name was Barabbas. 
You find the account of this in Mark chapter 15, verses 6 to 15. Barabbas was supposed to be executed that day for murder. The Bible declares that. And Pilate knew that Jesus Christ was innocent. He knew that for envy the chief priests had delivered him. He knew that Jesus was not a Roman lawbreaker. But here is Barabbas executed for murder. Rome had declared there'd be three crosses on Calvary's hill that day. Three crosses. Two thieves and a murderer dying. Jesus was not predicted to hang on that cross. Rome had no problems with this law-abiding Jesus of Nazareth, but they had problems with Barabbas. But Roman law was putting Barabbas to death by horrible crucifixion. But as you read the story in Mark 15, it was the custom of the Roman governor on Jewish Passover morning to release some prisoner to the Jewish people. He could do that on Passover morning. Pilate, the Roman governor, had declared Jesus innocent of Jewish charges. He was no prisoner of Rome. Yet Jewish crowds stood before Pilate and shouted for Jesus' death. What could Pilate do? He wants to release Jesus. So Pilate brings in Barabbas and puts him before the Jewish crowds that Passover morning. Pilate thinks the Jews will call for this notorious murderer's execution. Then he can release innocent Jesus, but Pilate is wrong. These Jews are not the Galileans. They're the Jerusalem Jews. If you stood there, you would see them as a mob. They're stirred up to hate Jesus by the chief priests and scribes. So these people, these people shouting as a mob, want Jesus crucified. And Barabbas, on his way to crucifixion, is released. Yes, the record says Barabbas is released. Barabbas the guilty and Jesus the innocent. Jesus dies on the cross that should have been Barabbas, cross of death. Surely Barabbas could look up the hill of Calvary at the center cross. Barabbas, like you or I, could say, he took my place. This is a gospel fact. Jesus took our place of guilt. Your sins and my sins, they were all there at the cross. Jesus died to remove our penalty. He paid the price. He took our place. If you haven't surrendered your sins to Jesus Christ and given him your life, do it now. You need his forgiveness, his mercy, his great salvation. Receiving Jesus as your Savior is a choice. The choice is always in your hand. His birth is unique. Surrender to him now. 